0: Coming up on the Dr. Preneurs podcast. So we're trying to develop a culture and support caregivers who want to be their own, you know, we call it micro entrepreneurs. Maybe now they're just a caregiver earning a salary, but they want to have a network of their own caregivers. They want to build their own businesses.
1: This is the Dr. Preneur's podcast. Right. Recording started. Um... Andrew, what was the question again?
0: Well, being a former British colony, English tends to be the language of business here, but uh, we do think, accommodate clients in a variety of languages.
1: I think in terms of uh, English, uh, speak, spoken English, I think people that are 60 years old and below in Malaysia, I think maybe 90% of us or even more than 90% of us uh, speak English because it has been in the curriculum since uh, since that time you know, when they are coming of age. Of course, when you're talking about the 80 years old, 90 years old um, people in Malaysia, they still kind of speak their mother tongue, which is either Malay, Mandarin, Tamil. But uh, when it comes to uh, the younger generation or the relatively younger generation, the boomers, the baby boomers generation, I think pretty much everybody speaks English here. So uh, the, the and basically people that are going to the websites to seek uh, care, uh, home whether it's home care or institutionalized care, um, they are generally in the 60 years old plus minus category because they have parents that are in their, 70, their 80s and their 90s. And so kind of Eng- the English website kind of um, serves it, its purpose. But we do have, uh, for example, because in Malaysia, we are also pretty multinational, uh, multiracial, uh, the three main et- ethnic groups are the Malays, the, the Chinese and the Indians. So when it comes to customers, the customer service part or the care advisory part, we do provide that in three, ling- three different languages. So as long as you get through to us on one of our phone lines or on our WhatsApp, uh, we can interact with you with uh, whichever languages you, pre- uh, you prefer. That's, I think, what's going on here. Now, Andrew?
0: No, right, I... You answered it quite well. I, I leave it to Jennifer to ask questions.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and I just want to kind of like address the the uh, the question that you said just now, like language barrier. We do mm-hmm. face this with uh, in the care space in Malaysia as well, because like I like I mentioned, those in their 80s and 90s, many of them they just speak their native language. They don't speak English. They don't speak anything else. Um, many of our caregivers uh, are either um, Filipinos, which uh, primarily speaks English and Tagalog and uh, also local Malay caregivers, which primarily speaks Malay and English. So we do have this uh, language barrier issue that is going on in Malaysia as well. And um, I think, I don't know, I, I'm hoping that we can kind of get some instant translation application or device in the future to, to kind of address this issue. <laughs> I'm just hoping technology could catch up f- uh, faster. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Um, something I was curious about. I know I saw your LinkedIn post the other day about your training program, so I was hoping you could elaborate on that and what you offer, whether it's in person, online. Um, kind of going over briefly what you offer to new caregivers, whether they're experienced or non-experienced. How you go about onboarding new caregivers and the training that they go through.
1: Yeah, I think I think the the uh, care or this whole system in, in the US is much more mature than we have in Malaysia. Um, okay. We we do not really have a caregiver as a professional uh, as a well as a profession in malaysia so this is something pretty new in malaysia they're either untrained caregivers or they're nurses so this in between kind of like care assistant or patient care assistants or caregivers or professional caregivers this category kind of doesn't exist until maybe the past de- decade or so so about 10 15 years ago this this beginning emerge, and we realized that uh, there are actually many people that are they are not interested to take up a three years nursing diploma or four and on top of that of another three years of a degree to become a nurse uh they would much rather just do the kind of like the activities of daily living part the support part and this is where our training program comes in um we we so this program is basically a one month uh, theory lesson on online and once they pass the theory lesson they can be attached to any one of our nursing homes or any one of our partners in Malaysia, all over Malaysia, to do their two months practical rotation. And during the practical rotation, they will um, be assessed based on their skills and their knowledge. And if they qualify, we will, because of the labor shortage issue, we almost definitely 100% can guarantee them a job placement, whether it's with us or with any of our partners. So. This professional caregiver caregiving program in malaysia is pretty new uh we we have uh basically developed the syllabus ourselves with references to um syllabus from other more developed countries like the us japan uh even some uh, taking some references from singapore as well because that's like closest to us culturally and uh, both uh, um the the social norms they are practiced so we we are kind of like at the malaysia is still like i think maybe a, one, a couple of generations behind developed countries in terms of the caregiving space. So we are kind of like, and with Andrew's help, we're kind of like trying to stimulate the whole industry, trying to move things forward um, by introducing, you know, different programs, different trainings to to hopefully catch up with the developed countries soon enough.
0: Yeah. One of the things to keep in mind about this industry, and when I say this, I'm talking about nursing homes, assisted living, home care, is that just a few years ago, this was a very disorganized, not very professional industry. It was basically a bunch of small mom-and-pop companies. So when we started Pillar Home Care and Jasper Lodge Nursing Homes, one of our goals was to bring, bring professionalism to the industry, and a big part of that was to create training programs. Here in Malaysia, for a long time, people equated maids with caregivers. Oh, I need a maid to take care of my grandmother. Well, We believe, and I'm sure you know that, being a caregiver is much different than being a maid. Caregivers Mm -hmm. focus on the person as opposed to a maid that focuses basically on cleaning the house. So it's been an education process over the last four or five years to help people understand what caregiving and home care and nursing home care is really all about.
2: And you talked about um, trying to train your caregivers to kind of be their own employers, right? Like being their own, um, becoming an entrepreneur, basically. And I've seen a lot of um, CEOs and more like higher up executives here in the United States display a lot of distrust in employees. Like they're like, we wouldn't even want them in the office, much less seeing them start their own businesses, which I think is so discouraging because I feel like a lot of people have the potential if they found someone that. Um, empowered them or encouraged them in some forms. How have you found that to be successful in your model?
0: Well, it's interesting because I come out of the U.S. corporate world where I work for big companies. And honestly, I've soured on big companies over the last few years because I don't think they necessarily have their employees' best interests at heart. You know, you take a job You're there to serve the employer, and the employer really isn't there to help you develop your career only in the sense of helping you do your job better. So here in in Southeast Asia in particular, I think there's a different culture where it's much more entrepreneurial. And we believe, or at least I believe, that caregivers and other healthcare professionals who work independently want to have more opportunities to grow. But if you're attached to an agency or a company, it's hard to do that. So we're trying to develop a culture and support caregivers who want to be their own, you know, we call it micro entrepreneurs. Maybe now they're just a caregiver earning a salary, but they want to have a network of their own caregivers. They want to build their own businesses. And that's been kind of the philosophy that we've been promoting in the last couple of years and why we're developing this platform called CASE, which is designed to support, um, care providers such as caregivers and physiotherapists and nurses and all of them. So I think it's culturally very different here than maybe in the West. Do you have anything to add to that, Dr. Lin?
1: Yeah, I think the the, the, the fact of the matter is um, most local caregivers in Malaysia, they kind of prefer um, to have more flexible uh, timing. So if you're attached to an agency, basically you have to take cases based on the assignment of the agencies. But if you are kind of like working as a micro entrepreneur, which is uh, um, doing freelance caregiving, you can kind of fix your own schedule, set your own timing, set your own goals. So in that way, we kind of do not have to, as the well the corporate side of things, we kind of do not have to micromanage them. Our role is more to support them to be successful as caregivers or to take up a, a, a profession or a career in caregiving. And um, should they need any support, they need any help, they need any further training development, we are here to provide that for them and we're here to grow together with them. I think that is kind of like the culture and the tone that we're setting in our company as compared to, you know, typical caregiving agencies or mate agencies.
2: Got it. So like, kind of dissimilar to a home instead, for example, like a large conglomerate now owned by honor, like they were a big platform and they kind of have this tech base model and they have the, the physical in-home care model, but they have that agency life. So you're having that, they, they always say, flexible schedule, you know, make your own hours, but it's really based on what they have in terms of clients. So seeing that these freelance caregivers, I love that term because you never hear that around here. And they just say like informal or private hired caregivers, which kind of cringes me, honestly, because a lot of people in the United States at least are out here
0: to scam people.
1: Oh yeah. Well, we get quite a fair bit of that as well, Andrew.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, the thing about the model with honor and home instead what I think they tried to create sort of an independent care model early on, but I think they realized it was very difficult. And as you know, there are different laws in every state in the U S about providing care at home and all of that. So it's very Mm -hmm. hard to scale the business in the U S compared to Malaysia. Um, So what honors had to do and others have had to do is they've had to acquire the companies in order to grow. Um, Right. Here, There's less regulations. That may change over time, but it's it's, they've been talking about changing the regulations and improving regulations for many years here and throughout Asia, and it still hasn't really happened. But we're trying to take advantage of opportunities caregivers want to be independent and to grow their own businesses, which would be very hard to do in the U.S., given the regulatory climate and given the dominance of a few companies in, in the U.S.
2: Got it so when you have a caregiver that's trying to start with your agency how do you go about doing that in terms of matching them with clients since they have their own schedules how do you go about matching those needs
1: okay i'm gonna take this question um so um if it's based on the agency model the the more traditional agency model the job kind of comes in through the marketing arm of the agency and then it goes up to Mm -hmm. a bulletin board and caregivers can kind of pick and choose what kind of jobs they are looking for. And uh, is it within their vicinity? Is this something that they can undertake? So this is more kind of like a traditional model that, um, that um, the, care, the care services are kind of rendered or provided through agencies. Uh, but what we're trying to do now is um, kind of like uh, let the caregivers dictate their own terms. So if they create a profile with this, uh, they can kind of set what kind of services that they're interested to provide. So some of them may be more skilled, care, uh, more, uh, prefer to to kind of like go towards the skilled caregiving part, caring for someone with mm-hmm. uh, tube feeding, you know, uh, that needs uh, dressing, that needs all, all sorts of more complex um, care, um, what do you call, care uh, services or activities. And some of them, maybe they prefer kind of like focusing more mm-hmm. on the companionship, focusing more on the activities of daily living. Uh, we kind of do not dictate uh, what services did they want to provide, and we don't even dictate what kind of rates they want to collect as well. So it's fully up to them to decide. Um, what what are the what are their working hours, what their work, their service areas, what kind of uh uh, uh services that they want to provide through the platform, what kind of prices they want to charge. It's all fully up to the caregivers. Of course, what we do is we kind of like vet through. If you claim that you are a skilled caregiver, we want to kind of see your uh, qualifications. We want to see your experience. We want to see some testimony, some references uh, that 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 you know that proves that that proves to us that you are kind of qualified for that for, for the skilled caregiver title. Uh, if the person coming in is already a nurse, uh, she, he or she just has to present uh, the diploma or the degree, uh, and then they they are automatically qualified. Um, For those that are just uh, just coming on board uh, as companions, we do not have such strict requirements from them because companions generally is a less skilled required job as compared to a skilled caregiver. So um, that's, and and uh, as a platform or as a kind of marketplace, the issue has always been the whole leakage thing—that means if once our um, uh, kind of like our employers or our clients engage one of our caregivers, and then they they go off the platform, they have um, you know private arrangements with the caregivers and but and trying to bypass us. So on that front, what we do is uh, we kind of do not collect a, a so called agency fee or middleman's fee from them. We mm-hmm. allow it to we allow them to interact. You know they can they can do the pay, payment uh, di- directly, not through our platform, but. As a platform, what we offer to them is sort of like an escrow service. So if you pay the money directly to the caregiver and the person doesn't show up, that's not our responsibility. But if you kind of pay through us, we hold the money. Once the job or the service is completed, then only we will uh, without complaints, then we will release the funds to the caregiver or the care provider. So in this model, we kind of collect a a transaction fee for for, for the escrow service that we're providing. And uh, in terms of the... um, subscription fee because it's like a small um i would say uh electronic medical record or maybe a bit of like a business tool for the caregiver so we do charge them a minimal fee every month to to use the to use the um the app or the uh, or the or the tool the business tool that we provide for them and we also do um for example for those that wants us to help market their profile we kind of also charge a little bit more on that front as well so that's how we kind of monetize uh the platform the application that we're coming up with andrew
0: oh that's good you covered it well
1: all right
2: love it and do you have like additional services that caregivers can take advantage of like let's say care management for example like if someone let's say is just a caregiver and they they do like daily tasks and stuff but their client may need more do they have do they reach out to you and get access to those auxiliary services or how, how do they get connected?
1: Um, I think in general, uh, if they need any support, like I said, our role is here to support them with any additional services they might need. So if they, they might not be the right person to to kind of like provide, the, like for example, uh, if it's someone, if it's a caregiver at home that um, that kind of do the basic activities of daily living and he or she may not have the skills to do wouldn't, uh, t- feeding tube rouse tube change for example and when they need this service they can always reach out to us and we can say okay let's let let us recommend a nurse to you whether it's our in-house team or whether it's one of our micro entrepreneurs uh freelancers to go in and kind of handle that part so caregiving is like a team effort it's not like one person can do everything sometimes they might need a doctor to go in as well sometimes they might need a therapist to go in so all the so we we, we we have we have started with the core caregiving services, and we are slowly expanding to different categories of support and care and development uh, as as we go along. I think that's that's uh, the summary of what we are doing. Did I miss anything else, Andrew?
0: No, I think you covered it well. <laughs>
2: Perfect. This is great. What are um, some other differences you think that uh, would be? important for me to include in the article when explaining the differences between here and Malaysia?
1: Mm, I think, I think um, one of the things that um, that I observed, which is a very glaring difference, is the amount of support when it comes to uh, the regulators and the authority. Now, in Malaysia, um, because this is such a new industry, such a raw industry, the regulators and, and, and authorities has ha, haven't kind of like caught up with the whole uh scene and the demand, and pretty much most of our care services in, in Malaysia are paid out of pocket. We do not have any insurance coverage for long term care, we don't have any insurance coverage for uh, uh, nursing homes or or, or in home caregiving services. So it's pretty much, I, I would say, maybe 90 95% of uh, most of our clients are all out of pocket payers, and because. There are no regulatory framework there's no guidelines or or um, um, law even to to dictate that you know or, or government policies to dictate that um you know all these old people kind of need some support and help to be to, to in terms of uh, besides the the services also the financial their financial needs as well and I think that has been a glaring issue in Malaysia that has not been addressed as compared to more developed nations like the US or Japan or Australia whereby they have their Medicare programs, their um, kind of retirement programs or social security programs that covers the the um, some of the care needs that they might have when they are aging or when they're old or when they need further services. In Malaysia, I think we are at least maybe five to 10 years behind uh, when it comes to a proper regulatory framework in terms of uh, insurance coverage. I think we need a little bit of time to develop that. And we are kind of like in this in, in the trailblazing space, Andrew and I. Andrew bringing his expertise from, from a more developed nation. And, and we are kind of working together to spearhead and to, to kind of create the awareness and to kind of bring, introduce or, or, or bring awareness to such policies that might benefit the aging population in Malaysia.
0: Part of it too is that in Asia generally, except maybe for Japan, for many years, countries like Vietnam and maybe to some extent Malaysia were very young populations. So the governments didn't really focus on senior citizens or an aging population. But that's changing now. The population is aging here, it's aging in other countries in the region. So I think the focus will probably increase over time here. But for a long time, aging issues just wasn't much of an issue in a lot of these countries until fairly recently.
1: Yeah. And, and probably another difference to point out is, is the the clear classification or the clear distinction between uh, caregiver roles in the U S or in more developed nations is compared to Malaysia. I think Andrew mentioned just now in Malaysia, we kind of hire a a domestic helper and kind of expect he or she to do everything, clean, cook, take care of the old person that is bedridden and 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 walk the dogs you know like kind of do everything uh but i think that's not really a very efficient way of going about caregiving because you know you a, a human being just you know it's not supposed to or you can can do all these things well if you're required to so i think uh the the ability to kind of distinguish Not just for the authorities uh, or for the industry people, also for the general public to sort of distinguish between the roles of caregivers as compared to domestic helpers or maids or or nurses is something that is still sort of lagging behind in Malaysia. And and we and we, we are, I think, also creating a lot trying to create a lot of awareness on that front as well. But but we've seen improvements definitely, right, Andrew, over the five years that we've been in business. We've definitely seen some changes over time. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I mean, when I first started about five years ago here, people really weren't even talking about being a caregiver. They were talking about maids and domestic help, as Dr. Lim said. But now you're hearing in the vernacular more about caregiving, activities of daily living. You know, we've done a number of blog articles and Facebook posts on the differences between caregivers and maids. So people are finally starting to understand a little better about what it means to care for a person as opposed to being a maid. So we've definitely seen changes in the last few years here.
2: Oh, um, I was trying to think of that question I had. So when it comes to most of it being private pay, do you see that there is a disparity? Like are the people that are getting care, the vast wealthy people of, the of the country because like obviously the United States with with the programs that we have it seems like either if you're insanely poor or insanely rich you're getting care but it's that lofty middle that's really struggling because the private pay rates are so high do you notice that too?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's pretty much similar in in, in Malaysia. Uh, most of our clients, I would say, belong to the uh, I mean that takes private uh, in-home caregiving services are uh, kind of like in the affluent category. So maybe the T twenty T twenty category, and those that are in the B forty category kind of like have uh, government uh, aid and support, which leaves the the M forty the, the the most underserved population, and um, because they do not qualify for any government programs, and you know they, it, it's difficult for them to afford the kind of rates. So it's it's more often than not like, um, and I think maybe another difference between here and the US is. I think we, we kind of have more kids like my parents generation have more children i think so mm-hmm. they have more siblings so either they one of them will have to res, uh, resign from their jobs you know kind of take up take up a full-time informal caregiving kind of role for the old person or everybody kind of have to chip in money and uh, to 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 breach the gap or to kind of like uh, afford this kind of caregiving services so if this does not change and because my generation we definitely have much less children uh, as compared mm-hmm. to much fewer children as compared to uh, our previous generations and if we do not have the financial um, kind of like the coverage or, or insurance coverage i think many of us are going to be struggling in the future caring for for our uh, for the for our elderly So this is a trend that I foresee, and that's why we are pushing very hard to kind of like change policy or or introduce or impact some changes in in the policies in Malaysia.
2: I think it's interesting how like the different aging and different populations is really starting to affect countries now. Like I saw a TikTok yesterday and I was showing a woman uh, in her story of how she gave birth in Korea and how it's different. And with Korea, I guess they're giving out a lot of benefits for women who are getting pregnant because there are you a know, disproportionate amount of older adults versus younger people. So they're trying to encourage people to have children and give them a lot of incentives to do so so that they continue to have them and that they can have you know, continuing generations and not to have such an age disparity. So I think it's definitely really interesting to see how countries are coming up with different plans and ideas of how to... You know, get there to be more people or countries that are giving more plans. I think Singapore just came out with a new aging plan um, to help make things more accessible for, you know, age. And like, how are the houses in Malaysia? Are they age friendly? Cause I know most of the United States are not and aren't built that way or aren't built sustainably to (laughs) sustain someone their lifetime as they age. So I was curious about that.
0: Well, uh, from an from an expat's perspective, I would say it's very similar here to the U.S. I I don't think a lot of people are focusing on age friendly homes. You ever seen some of it, but but very small. I mean, I I think here we're still at the point where we're still working on you know access for people who are in wheelchairs or disabled to get into public spaces or supermarkets or malls. I mean, it's getting better certainly, but I, I think like many countries, we're still fairly behind in terms of you know age accessible homes here in malaysia
1: yeah yeah as i was, I was as i was telling a friend i said when we designed the society uh, i don't know about other countries but when we designed the societies in malaysia uh, we kind of forgot that all of us are going to age sometime or another uh, so when we designed the whole 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 place the cities the the the, the public transportation the the housing systems but we kind of forgot that everyone eventually gets old, and um, therefore, you know, yeah. I personally think that there aren't enough emphasis uh, put on, um, you know, making things uh, either um, disabled friendly or uh, or uh, elderly friendly. So these are some of the challenges I, I see, even in the town. In terms of the experts, when it comes to town planning or architects, I think right now we are beginning to see that they have starting to. I would say awaken to the fact that um, most of our infrastructures are not elderly friendly and not wheelchair friendly. And uh, many more developers are kind of like jumping into the space and wanting to create um, these kind of facilities that, uh, and and looking at kind of looking at it as uh, either retirement friendly, elderly friendly, or multi-generational kind of uh, uh, design and, 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 and architecture to to support the the as you said the sustainable aging or, or living for for the population. Many of them I know are still doing it out as, as a gimmick because uh, they want to sell properties. But um, but we do see some genuine developers that are very concerned and uh, their designs are very well thought out. Well thought out. Their layouts are very well thought out. And uh, it's it's an encouraging sign, I guess. Uh, it, it's not happening as fast as as we would like to, but I think we definitely got to start somewhere. Right, Andrew? But
0: but about here, even those few developers who are developing sort of retirement communities or some assisted living, it's still quite unaffordable for most people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So again, we are talking about the affluent, the T20 population that could afford this kind of services because it's kind of all paid out of pocket.
2: And how would you say the general health of the uh, Malaysian people are like, obviously, in the United States, we are notorious for our McDonald's and ease of <laughs> access to unhealthy and processed foods. And having gone to Europe, I was just like, oh, my God, no processed sugars, no artificial flavorings. Coke just tasted different and so much better there. I was curious, like, are people in Malaysia generally healthier? Are they having a longer health span?
0: Well, well, let me tell you one thing from my uh, American perspective, living here in Malaysia. I can walk across the street from my apartment building into a huge mall, and if I go into the food section, it's no different than being in America. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's rows and rows of American and local fast food, which isn't much different than American fast food. So obviously, there are healthy options here. And maybe Dr. Lincoln comment on the sort of the general health of the population compared to other countries in the U.S.
1: I think, I think in terms of um, the health issues, I think in Malaysia, I would say we are one of the worst performing countries in, in Southeast Asia. Uh, the fact that uh, about half our adult population are overweight. So this is uh, not too dissimilar to, to what's going on in the U.S., um, and diabetes is very high too, right? One in seven adults uh, are diabetic in Malaysia as well. Uh, I would attribute that to basically our dietary food intake, uh, the lack of awareness when it, uh, awareness when it comes to um, um, healthy living, you know, healthy eating. I think we're still pretty much uh, we're not oh. there yet, definitely, and and that is actually a big contributor to a lot of uh, elderly-related diseases or chronic diseases that eventually would end up will, will render them requiring a caregiver in the future. So definitely I think that is a place uh, to start when it comes to health awareness, I think in terms of prevention, in terms of uh, health screening, I think these are all still um, it's, it's it's we were not there yet definitely in terms of, uh, you know, all this issues that we are facing, but there are many, um, whether it's government efforts or private uh, efforts to, to create awareness, uh, you know, uh bring more attention to to health screening uh we we do a fair bit of health education ourselves as well Um, and hopefully that could help lessen the disease burden that we are seeing in malaysia whether it's obesity or uh or diabetes so these are the issues that we are kind of like facing right now and uh it's a public health crisis definitely in malaysia
2: and more toward your home care business side, how many like caregivers do you have and about how many clients are you caring for? I was just curious.
0: Um, Well, we have a pretty big network. We have hundreds of caregivers in our network, but obviously all of them um, aren't working all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we take care of up to a couple hundred clients every month, basically. Did I get that right, Dr. Lim?
1: Yeah, yeah. a couple of hundred in the private home care front and a couple of hundred in our nursing homes. So yeah, 350 to 400 around around that range every month.
2: Perfect. Is there anything else you think I should know? Those were the questions I had um, on hand, but I wasn't sure if there's anything that you feel I would be better off knowing or that would be good for the article.
1: Uh, Well, I guess... um, Maybe if I'm going to, if your audience are in the US and, and if there are people interested in the caregiving space in the elderly care space in Southeast Asia, which is kind of like a, we are kind of like at the beginning of the boom of the industry. And uh, it's really a great opportunity to get into this business now, if they are investors or if they are um, entrepreneurs that are interested to kind of get into the space. Um, I think it's a good opportunity to, to, to explore it at this point, because in another five years or 10 years, it's going to be a very mature industry and the barrier of entry could be very high back then uh, uh, Then, and uh, regulations may make it harder for people to come into the space. So I think it's a great opportunity for um, American um, investors, or entrepreneurs to explore um, this, this whole care and aging space in Southeast Asia. I think it's uh, going to be a very big uh, industry as well. Uh, in terms of opportunity-wise. So yeah, that, that would be one of the messages I would like to send to your audience.
0: And I, I think you've covered it well. And obviously, as you're writing the article, if you want to check with me on any specific facts, just send me an email and I'll happy to answer really quickly. But um, yeah, as Dr. Lim said, I think there's a great opportunity here for entrepreneurs from other countries of the U.S. to want to work with us because it is a... You know, a huge market throughout Asia, not just in Malaysia. And the demand for caregiving, for nursing homes is just growing exponentially every year. Uh, So, this is a very, I think, untapped market right now. And the fact that we were able to build two of the leading businesses in this space in, you know, four years or so uh, is pretty remarkable. It means there's still a lot of opportunity available because it's hard to handle all of the demands that's out there honestly
1: yeah i think i think i think you've covered everything well i think um, there's nothing else i would like to add on my side so yeah thank you for your time
2: thank you yeah if you ever need any like marketing or operational assistance i'm happy to help out if you ever need
1: yeah that would be very interesting because we are constantly looking for collaborators and strategic uh, strategic partners so uh, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, let's let's uh, keep in touch. And uh, who knows, we might have opportunities in the future to work together again.
0: Sure, you got it. Yeah. Thanks very much for your time. Appreciate it. And, and, and Dr. Lynn, send me the recording and I'll send it on to her.
1: I will, I will. Thank, thank you so much, Jennifer. And um, Thank you. I- is it okay we upload this conversation up to our page as well?
0: Absolutely, yeah,
2: it's totally fine.
1: Okay, great. I just wanted to be sure.
0: All right. Thank you. Have thank a good you. day. Uh, good
1: evening. You have a good evening, Jennifer.
2: Bye-bye. Have a great day.
1: Bye. Take care, people. Bye. This is the Dr. Brenor's Podcast.